Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Precious Father, we want to thank you once again. We exalt your name. We appreciate you. We give you all the praise, glory, and adoration. And even now, Lord, we are asking for wisdom, understanding in your word as we consider your scriptures tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're going to continue with our study on what is man. I'm sure this is part four. Right. What is man? I think I'm going to do one more series, I mean, section on it, and we'll be rounding up. Okay, so again, our test is Psalm 8, reading from verse number 3. What is man? Psalm 8, reading from verse number 3. When I consider the heavens, the work of their fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that art mindful of him, and the son of man that art visited him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of the hands, and thou hast put all things under his feet. And this is the last two sections we're going to be considering after this one. How he made lower and how all things are supposed to be placed under his feet. But we're still dealing with the aspects that I said before in relation to the redemption of mankind. Indicating to us that God's intention is not to have man come here, die, give back to other ones, die, and just continue like that. That is not God's ultimate purpose for creating man. We have already spoken to ourselves in relation to Genesis 1, 26-27. That is God's ultimate mind. And uh, we made us understand that Genesis 2, verse 7 was the lowering of man. And to the level at which the propensity to sin was introduced into man's life. I tried us to make understand again that you want to follow the workings of God, we find that in Deuteronomy 16, 16, which I will speak of the three major feasts in Israel. I was talking this afternoon and something came to my mind that you find out. Right now we are in the section that we call Pentecost. And we seem to be rejoicing so much about Pentecost. But the truth again is that if you look at Leviticus 23 verse 27 or 17, you'll be able to see that God was instructing the children of Israel and uh, he told them to get two loaves of bread for that particular sacrifice, Leviticus 23, 17. 
And when he got there, and he said, look at it. You shall bring her out of your habitation to with loaves of two ten deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be taken with living. They are the first fruit unto the Lord. First fruit speaks about the first harvest, which actually speaks about Pentecost. So what do you think the Lord is saying here? He said, you should introduce living. That is to say, in the realm of Pentecost, it's still full of sin. Because living, basically, is a symbol of sin. And God introduced that. So you take time to read, you find at 4 Samuel chapter 10, and you will look at um, 4 Samuel chapter 12 as well. When Saul was crowned as a king, the first thing that Samuel told him that as you're going to go, you're going to see three men and they're going to come with two loaves of bread and give to you. And then when you look at chapter 12 of 4 Samuel, you find that after they introduced, as it were, Saul, they made him king, what's the next thing that happened? Samuel made a statement and he said, you've chosen a king for yourself, now I'm going to call that a reign. And that was a time of wheat. So, everything put together, there was thundering and lightning coming in. You understand that? Yeah. You studied the whole of those things put together with what we just read there, you discovered that Saul was a Pentecostal. He was a Pentecostal king. So what's special about his life? There was absolutely nothing. You wouldn't want to consider Saul and compare him to David. David from the order of Melchizedek. Saul was a Pentecostal. So there is much more. And when you deal with the life of David, you find that David was inhabiting Zion. Saul never attained to Zion. And now you have come to Mount Zion. So there's a dimension of life that you are supposed to be receiving beyond that which is called Pentecost. When we rejoice in all the science miracles we are doing, Largely, we are not seeing clearly what God has in mind. And I've always said that before. I believe in miracles. All of you know here that I do. But the truth of the matter is, miracle doesn't make you know God. No. If miracles make you know God, then the children of Israel will have known God. The God, the highest miracle you can think about. Right? Praise the living God. You know, when the Bible talks about greater work shall you do. We really have to understand that as well, that it has not to do with doing miracles per se, because even raising the dead, we had all of that in the Old Testament. Elijah did that, Elijah did that. So what was the greater work? It's so winning, evangelism. It was limited to Jerusalem, but you are opportune to go around the whole world. But the Holy Spirit, that's the greater work that he said we should do. Not necessarily the science wonders and miracles. That would make you know God. Hallelujah. Are you there with me? What am I trying to make us understand? We've got to move beyond that which is called Pentecost. There is something higher. Because you remember that in Pentecost was when Ananias and Sapphira sinned, right? They lied. Where did they lie? They were Pentecostals. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on, are you with me? And that is why I discovered that when you look at 
Revelation chapter 4, and the Bible begins to tell you, say, come up here and I will show you things we must be after. After what? After the age of the seven churches. The mind of God is not for you to settle in Pentecost. He intends you to go beyond Pentecost. And what he has in mind, actually, is to bring you to the fullness of that which I called his glory. Amen? Are you there with me? Okay, so let's quickly start by reading Ephesians 4 verse 30. Ephesians 4 verse number 30. Hallelujah. Ephesians 4.30, the Bible says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. And this is very important. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So, the Holy Spirit is not the end of the journey. Are you with me? The Holy Spirit is not the end of the journey. Now the Holy Spirit is Pentecost. Remember that. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. Now the Bible is saying when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, he sealed your spirit. And then he said he sealed your spirit against the day of redemption. That means there is something ahead beyond that which is called Pentecost. Did you get that? Praise God. Grieve not the Holy Spirit, but whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So, the first experience which is Pentecost, remember, going by the face, you have your Passover, you have your Pentecost, and then you move on to the next thing. So the next stage that is going to, the, the evidence that you are supposed to get there is the Holy Spirit that you have received. And the Bible says your spirit is sealed until the day of redemption. Amen? The part of you that is sealed is your spirit, not your soul, not your body. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, if you can get it. It tells you something. Amen. And he said, And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your spirit, your soul, and your body. This is what makes you up. Now, but Ephesians 4, 30 say your spirit is sealed. Not your soul, not your body. That means there is something that has to do with your body that has to come. He say you are sealed until the day of redemption. What redemption? The redemption of your body. Again, we can see that from Romans 8 verse 23. We are going to be using the scriptures and I'm sure you should be familiar with them. You can take it from the NIV if you will. Romans 8 23. Praise God. Is it not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the spirit. This is the point. Pentecost is the first fruit. Leviticus 23 verse 17, the first fruit. Is it making sense? Can you get that? Hallelujah. Good. So, here he's saying, we are the first fruits of the Spirit. And don't forget what I said. Living was added to the first fruits. Is that okay? Good. So, here he's saying, we have the first fruit of the Spirit. First fruits means the evidence. It speaks of that which is to come. It speaks of, it points you to something that 
is about to happen or is going to happen. For instance, when they, in, when they intend to go into the promised land, they send it to a spies. What happened? They brought out samples of what the land contained. Is that okay? Good. And when you talk about first fruit, it simply means there's going to be a whole harvest, but they're the first one. So what is the harvest? The harvest is the redemption of your body. That's the full harvest. You understand what I mean? Good. But now you have the first fruit. And what the, what the spirit does, it, it seals your spirit. So nothing enters into your spirit. Your spirit is sealed. That's the point. Nothing can go into your spirit. It's sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's cocked. Is that okay? Okay. So he that is joined to the Lord is what? One spirit. Okay, so we'll go. Not only so, but, the, uh, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. What? The redemption of our bodies. That's our adoption as sons. Hallelujah. Praise God. Look at the next verse, which is verse 24. And he said, For in this hope we were saved. And that's the point. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. We hope for what we have already has. The answer is no. This hope you were saved. What's the hope? The redemption of your body. What is that supposed to mean? We are saying God's intention is to bring man to the place of full glory. I told you here some time ago, and you should still remember that in Romans chapter 103 and 4. I made it to understand that a man that walked on the shores of Galilee called Jesus was not truly what you call the Son of God. His sonship was made manifest after resurrection. Is that okay? Scripture said, verse 3, that he was the son of David, as touching the flesh. But in terms of being the Son of God, has to do with resurrection from the grave by the power of the Holy Ghost. That's made him the Son of God. So there is a whole walk ahead of you. Uh, I, I mean, somebody, a very good friend, made a statement recently. I was talking and he said, well, I'm just relying on we have to believe in the finished work of God. Yeah, and it's about the work is not finished yet. Yeah, the work is not finished. We always talk about the finished work of God. How is it finished? When your body is not redeemed yet, your soul is just going through redemption, which is called sanctification, if you will. Is that okay? How is the work finished? What was finished has to do with the sacrifices. Is that okay? When he says it is finished, it means his aspect of being the Lamb of God ended all the lambs that were going to be sacrificed. That's what is finished. What is finished is you don't need to offer animals to please God. You got to believe in the sacrifice of Jesus. That's what it means. But your redemption is on the other side of the cross. You were not saved by the cross. You were forgiven by the cross. You were reconciled by the blood. Is that okay? Hey, are you there with me? Scripture says, without shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That's all. So the blood was shed. Your sins were forgiven. You were reconciled to God. But your salvation is on the other side of the cross when the Holy Ghost came. You were not saved by the cross. You were saved by the Spirit. (laughs) 
And the Bible tells us that we are saved and we are being saved and we shall continue to be saved. Why? Your spirit is saved, your soul is being saved, and your body is also going to be what? Saved. He said, by this hope we were saved. Saved what? From the sins of Adam, all of those things, with a hope. What's the hope? The hope of redemption of our bodies, not the hope of rapture. Making sense. Okay. We dealt with this some time ago, but we're going to read it again along. So go with me now to the book of First uh, Thessalonians 4, verse 14. First Thessalonians 4, verse 14. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. By implication, we're going to take on the same kind of body. If that, now, when you use the word sleep, it means those who die naturally. There is something that the church doesn't understand. There's a big difference between those who died in Jesus and those who sleep in Jesus. Look at the next verse. Go to verse 13. Sorry, go back to verse 13. Let me show you something. But I will not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that they which sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. What's going to be the hope there? The hope of redemption. Look at verse 14 now. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so then which sleep with him, will Jesus bring with him? Resurrection. What's the next point? Look at it. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that they which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. What's the next thing? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Dead in Christ shall rise first. He's discussing resurrection. Is that okay? Who are the people to rise forth? The dead in Christ. Who are the dead in Christ? Not those who sleep in Jesus. Acts chapter 7, the last two verses will tell you, Stephen looked up and he slept in the Lord. To sleep means you die naturally. But to be dead in Christ means you are living your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are not in the grave. So there are Two categories of people mentioned here, but the church doesn't see that. They think when you when you were dead in Christ means we are in the cemetery. No, that is wrong. Hallelujah. Okay, let me show you. Colossians 3, verse 1. Colossians 3, verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ seated on the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Verse 3. For ye are dead. Huh? And your life is with Christ who? In God. Ye are dead. Right now, ye are dead. You are dead in Christ. Dead in Christ. Dead to sin. That's what people don't understand. So they think when you're dead in Christ, me, you are in the cemetery. No. If there was anything to call somebody in the cemetery, there are those who sleep in the Lord. 
So when he said the dead in Christ shall rise forth, mean the word actually is anistema in the Greek, and it means to rise to the place of prominence or power. For instance, if you look at the book of Daniel, the Bible says a beast rose from the sea. That's not to say one crocodile or one, you understand, that came out of the sea. What he's saying, another king arose, came to the place of power. So to rise means to come to the place of power. So the first people to partake of the life we're discussing are those who are dead in Christ. Are you getting that? That's what it means. The life of the glory that we're discussing now has to do with those who are dead in Christ. They are the first to partake of that life before the rest of the people. Praise God. Talk about those who are alive and remain. Talk about dead in Christ. Talk about those who sleep in Jesus. If you go and look at the scripture in the book of Exodus 24, you find that God said, come up to me. Moses rose, Joshua, 70 elders, they went up. When they got to a starting state, the Bible says, only Moses went up, remaining people stayed out middle, in quotes, right, of the 70 elders. But then down below, we have the multitude of the people. These are three categories of people you can see there. Those who enter into the presence of God with Moses. The 70 elders were halfway up and down, and then the down below were those who are religiously infected with all that, what they call this man now, Joshua, gave to them. Those who were watching the golden calf, they were still on the same mountain. But within the same mountain were three sets of people. Moses, number one. Seventy elders, number two. Down below, of the people, the multitude of people watching the golden calf. So you find the same principle here. What do you see there? Those who are dead in Christ, those who are alive and remain, and those who sleep in Jesus. Praise God. Anyway, that's not what we're dealing with, but does it mean anything to you? Hallelujah. So, we have stated from the studies clearly that there is no waiting in the grave, and it's important you understand that. You don't die and remain in the grave, Right? We are not waiting for one particular day for the cemetery to open and then the graves. I mean, like we're talking about the trumpet there, the trump of God, and the, 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 the trump of the archangel. What are you writing for Thessalonians 4, talking about the trump of God and the, the voice of the archangel? You are talking about Jesus Christ. And talking about the voice. It's a voice that gives resurrection. So those who are dead, now shall they hear the voice of the Son of God, they that hear shall leave. <laughs> That's trumpet. That's a message. Amen? Okay, let's look at uh, Revelation 21. Talking about uh, what we have already been thinking about when we look at Revelation 21, verse 1. We are going to be thinking about in the natural, we say, well, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. So when we look at this, we are talking about maybe uh, the Atlantic Ocean, or whatever the case may be. What is the new heaven and new earth? The new heaven is simply the New Testament. The, the new heaven and the new earth, the old heaven and the old earth. You understand that? Old heaven and old earth, middle old testament. New heaven and new earth speak of New Testament. That's what he's saying. That's just what he's talking to you about. Hallelujah. Look at something in the book of Matthew chapter 5. Uh, let's look at 18. 
Matthew 5.18. Praise God. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot of the title shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. What do you think he's talking about? Which heaven and earth is going to pass away? <laughs> you see, the jot of the title of the law, everything was found in the tabernacle. What he's saying here is, until the tabernacle is destroyed, everything that God said is going to come to pass. You find the same thing in chapter 24, verse 35. 24, 35 will be called mighty. Just read that. Then I'll show you. Praise the Lord. Mighty 24, verse 35. It tells you the same thing. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my world shall not pass away. So, the heaven and earth that is talking about here speaks of the Old Testament. And what he's actually trying to say is, See, guess what? After Pentecost has come, follow me. After Pentecost has come, is that okay? You find that the law was still there. Everything was still going on for another 40 years before Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed. So, if you really want to talk about when the New Testament started, I mean, took root, it is after the temple was destroyed in AD 70. But that was 40 years after the Holy Spirit had been given. Are you following that? Praise the Lord. So, what he's saying here, heaven and earth shall pass away, he's just talking about the tabernacle that contains the law, the priesthood. All of those things, like he said in verse 18, not one daughter will remain unfulfilled, meaning everything that is written will be fulfilled, but until that is passed away, all it are going to be there. In other words, until the tabernacle goes off, part of the law is still in operation. So we're talking about ending the law with the destruction of the temple in AD 70. That's why I discovered that after the Holy Spirit has come, and in chapter 3, you find that Peter... James and John, they went to the temple to worship. They healed the man by the beautiful gate. The temple was still going on. Services were still going on in the temple. That means the law was still in place. That means the priest was still functioning. But you see, the New Testament introduced the priesthood of Melchizedek. Are you getting that? But that never came into place until the, the destruction of the temple. So the heaven and earth are passing away. It's not talking about the globe. Is it making sense for you? Right. So now, the next thing it says there is, there'll be no more sea. What sea are we talking about? Oh, glory. Again, we can pursue it a little bit further. Look at Isaiah 65, verse 17. Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former shall not be remembered, nor come into mind. What he's talking about is not the ark. Is that Okay. The former, what former? The Old Testament. I'm making New Testament. The Old Testament shall no longer come to mind. That's what it's referring to here. That's why Jeremiah tells you the same thing. They shall no longer remember the ark. That means the law will no longer be there because the law will end the ark. Are you there? Praise the Lord. Okay. Verse 17. I mean, verse 18. 
But he shall be glad and rejoice forevermore in that which I create, for I create the new Jerusalem and rejoicing and our people a joy. I create Jerusalem and rejoicing. What Jerusalem is this? Jerusalem which is from above. Is that okay? Not all Jerusalem in Palestine, but Jerusalem which is from above. We talks about the church. In fact, scripture tells us that in Galatians chapter 4, it talks about Jerusalem that not in Jerusalem which is from above. And it said, with her children is our mother. Is that okay? Galatians chapter 4, when I was comparing Haggai and Sarah. You call one Jerusalem from above, the other one Jerusalem within now is, within the Middle East. So this new Jerusalem that is creating talks about the church. So Isaiah 65 is prophetic of the New Testament, which is what we are experiencing. So the old Jerusalem is gone, the old heaven and earth is gone, we are now in the new heaven and the new earth. Praise God. Are you see here? And then the next thing you see in Revelation 21, there's no more sea. What is sea? Sea speaks of the multitude of humanity who have no understanding about God and such ones that know God but are in a realm of, what do I call this now? You see, they are acting like Balaam, they are acting like Korah, Amen? Let me check your sound. I'm sure the echo is not too much. I don't want a vibration in the system. All right. I'm going to show you a few scriptures in that. Revelation 17 verse 1. Praise God. Bible says, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vows, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show thee the judgment of the great hall that seated upon many waters. I read this a few weeks ago. Many waters speaks of what? Sea. Is that okay? Many waters. Sea is just a body of many waters. In quote. So what is the many waters? Here he's saying the hog, which is a prostitute, actually talk about the, 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 it's a church system that's controlling people. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. Praise God. And he said unto me, the waters with the sawest, where the horse seated, are peoples, a multitude, nations, and tongues. It's so simple. Many waters, people. They're together. So when he said no more sea, no more people who will not know God. That adjusted. Here we're talking about back to verse. Verse 2, look at verse 2 of Revelation 17. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made to drink with the wine of a fornication. Verse 3 says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and showed me a woman seated on colored scarlet beasts, full of names from blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And then he goes down to verse 4. And he said that the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet colored and decked with gold and precious stones and pears, having a golden cup in a hand full of abomination and fitness of a fornication. When you go on reading, it talks about, the name is called Mystery Babylon the Great. How many of you remember that? So this is talking about the church that is confusing people. This is talking about trust system that is messing up the sons of God and the children of God. If you keep on reading, 
I think verse 18, and what did he say? He said, come out of her, my people. That means God's people are in Babylon. God's people are being, you know, you see what he's saying here? Men are being drunk with a system of religion. The church today will not teach you how to become who you are supposed to be as a child of God. They must bring you to the place where they have to have dominion over your life. They have to have authority over your life. I mean, you will know nothing about who you are supposed to be as a child of God. As long as you are submitting to them, you have a ticket to heaven. That's what they tell you. That's mystery Babylon. You see, any system that will not give God's children freedom to worship God is Babylon. Whether it's Pentecostal, whether it's anything, whatever thing you want to name, it makes no difference. Any system that corrupts your mind, any system that makes you try to know God the way you are supposed to know God for yourself is Babylon. Any system that tells you they only have the ticket for you to go to heaven is Babylon. Because you'll be worshiping a system. Look at here. The kings have been corrupted, drinking with the wine of our corruption and fornication. What is wine? Wine speaks of doctrine. Is that okay? Wine speaks of doctrine. That's why Jesus will tell you, you don't put uh, old wine into old wine, new wine skin, and so on and so forth. It speaks of doctrine. So when men are being drunk with the wine of a fornication, when the church begins to teach the children of God wrong things that will not enable them to become who they are supposed to be, they are just in the system of Babylon, nothing more than that. You call yourself Pentecost, whatever name you want to call you, as long as you don't allow people freedom of expression and to walk in the spirit, you are actually mystery Babylon. Praise God. So, are we seeing that? So many water speaks of what? Of people. Is that okay? All right. Let me show you another scripture. Um, go with me to Jude. Jude is one book, verse 11 to 13. The book of Jude. Praise God. Look at it. Woe unto them, for they've gone the way. Okay, let's go back to verse 10 a little bit. But this beast evil of those, I mean, they speak evil of those things which they have, which they know not. But what they know naturally are brute beasts. In those things, they corrupt themselves. Look at the next thing. Woe unto them, for they've gone the way of Cain, around greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and prophesy and perish in the gainsaying of Korah. Korah were the people that stood against Moses. Is that okay? Remember Balaam was a prophet that needed money to prophesy. Is that okay? These are religious people. Now, the next thing says, these are what? Why are you confusing me? Verse 12. These are spot in your face of charity. That's your love face. You're coming together. Your fellowship. What is he saying? When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of wind, trees whose fruit wither it, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by what? By the roots. Is that okay? What's the next thing? Remember he said clouds. Look at the next thing here. Raging waves of what? Of the sea. Forming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Raging waves. Sea. Did you get that? Raging waves of the sea. Um, we're talking about religious people. We don't know prophets. You know, you understand that? <laughs> Think about the life of of Balaam. 
Remember, this was a man that the Bible says he literally could see vision. Is that okay? Fine. But he had the wrong spirit, even though he was seeing vision. He was taken over by mammon. You see that? And God is calling such people raging wave of the sea. And of course, you know, we have so many of them today. Except you have understanding of scriptures, you may not be able to know such ones. They are raging waves of the sea. They are twice dead, wood's root. I mean, wither it, plucked up. Hallelujah. Are you there with me? Go to 2 Peter 2, verse 3. I mean, 2 Peter 2, 13 and 17. Let's look at this. 2 Peter 2, let's look at 13 and 17. Okay, here we go again now. Yeah, I think 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 and 17. Chapter 2. Okay. And shall, okay, go to verse uh, 12. Let me take it from there, then we'll move to 17. But these are natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed. Speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. And shall receive the reward of righteousness. They that are counted pleasure to riot in daytime, spoil the air, and blemish spotting themselves with their own deceiving while they feast with you. Go to verse 17. Having eyes full of adultery. Hallelujah. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. The same categories of people. If you leave from the top, you discover that he's speaking about teachers, speaking about prophets. The same spirit, they are called sea. So when he say no more sea, we're looking at a system where all of this corrupt system is taken away as far as the new covenant is concerned, which is called the new Jerusalem and the new earth. At the end of the day, what am I trying to say? In the midst of that, which is called Pentecost, all these things are still functioning. Do you understand what I mean? That's what I told you in the very beginning. Leviticus 23, 17. Living was added. So you see prophets today doing whatever thing they are doing, but they're full of corruption. Do you understand what I mean now? That's good. So this is still all in the realm of Pentecost. All of these things you see is in the realm of Pentecost. So when you talk about no more sea, we're talking about no more deception of such people. These categories of people will be no more there. Praise the living God. Are you still here? All right. So, what's the next thing we said? As touching what God has in mind for mankind. Ecclesiastes 12 is number 7 again. Let's go there very quickly. Our time is almost gone because we had a break. Ecclesiastes 12 is number 7. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is number 7. It said, Then shall the dust return to the dust, I mean, return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who do what? Who gave it. Now, don't miss this scripture. It's very important. Very important. Don't miss this scripture. In all your life, in all your thinking, in all your belief, don't miss this scripture. It tells you 
your journey here and back into God. You understand what I mean? So, now, he says, so get a point right, when a man dies, the dust returns to the dust, the spirit goes. So, it's not talking about somebody being in the cemetery. The spirit is out already. This body gets into humors. The bones get rotten. Everything goes back to dust. Is that okay? All right. But now this is what I want to show you. So when you look at this, say the spirit goes to God who gave it. And that is very, very important. So now, how are the dead raised? That's the question we're going to answer tonight. Um, let's quickly look at the book of 1 Corinthians 15. Take it from the NLT. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 41. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 41. NLT. Hallelujah. Are you there? But someone may ask, how would the dead be raised? What kind of body would they have? That's a good question. And look at the next thing. What a foolish question. Say that question is very foolish. <laughs> Hallelujah. To ask a question, how did that raise? Say it's a foolish question. You don't ask such question. By implication, you ought to know. So what are you supposed to know? In other translation, like the Living Bible, it said the answer is in your garden. So what this one says, when you put a seed in the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. Or the next thing. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of a wheat or whatever you are planting. What was the next thing? Then God gives it the new body. He wants it to have a different plant grow from each kind of seed. Genesis 1.11 says, every plant will bring forth its own kind of seed. Every seed bring forth its own kind. Are you there now? So, verse 38 we said, God gives it a kind of body, the kind of body that you want. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Verse 39, similarly, there are different kinds of flesh. One kind for human, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. Verse 40, these, I mean, there are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly body is different from the glory of the earthly body. All right. So now, what is that supposed to mean? What he's telling you here is this. When a man dies, the spirit comes out. And God gives that spirit a different body. That's why in 1 Corinthians, I mean, 2 2 Corinthians 5, he said, we shall not be without bodies. Is that okay? So, when he say a different kind of body for every, I mean, different kind of plant, it's simple this way. You know God now. Somebody here doesn't know God. Your spirit is already redeemed. Ephesians 4, 3. Until the day of redemption, is sealed. There are people who don't have their spirit sealed yet. If they drive, if they die, they drop the flesh. God gives them a body 
but not the kind of body that you will have for believing in Christ. Do you understand that? For every seed must have its own kind of body. So, if an unbeliever dies, he receives a body. It's a body of condemnation. By its resurrection unto condemnation, John chapter, I mean, John chapter 5, you can find it there in the book of Daniel. And then, you who have received Christ, you receive a body with a body of glory. This body you receive has no limitation. But the man that does not know God has limitation. That's what the Bible said. Those in the days of Noah, they were in prison until Jesus came to preach to them. They don't have access. But you look at the case of somebody like Elijah, somebody like Moses, what happened? They could move out from the spirit realm. And that is what you find in the book of John chapter 1, I think 50, 50 now or so. When Jesus was talking about the ladder of Jacob of Genesis 28, when he said, you shall see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What he was saying, sons of God who have attained to that level in the spirit realm can move out of the spirit and go back into the spirit. They can literally come out and minister to people. You think they are angels, in quote, because they are not going to appear like normal human beings. If you can recognize them, fine, whatever it is. But the point I'm raising is this. They have a body of glory. They can come out and they can go in. But unbelievers don't have that kind of body. They have a body of condemnation. And for me, there's a body that will take them to what you call the lake of fire, which is called the second death. The first death, they died in Adam or they died in Christ. We died in Christ, they died in Adam. Is that okay? Right. So the second death has to do a work of purification. If you die in Christ, your spirit is purified by the blood of Jesus. But now, if you don't have the spirit of Christ and you drop the flesh, you take another body and you move into what you call the lake of fire. What? For purification. Because you discover that by the time the lake of fire finishes, what? there's no false prophet, no hell, no death, no sin in your life. That's what the lake of fire does. So the point is it. Why wait until you drop the flesh and get into a lake of fire instead of receiving Christ now and have your spirit purified so that when you drop the flesh, you take up another body and you move on into glory? Praise the Lord. So it's only a natural body, it's really a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there's a spiritual body. I'll show you a simple example of a spiritual body. Luke 24, I mean five minutes. Luke 24, verse 39. Luke 24, verse 39. Praise God. Now, I have always read this, read this scripture to you. This is Jesus when he moved into where the disciples were. They were afraid. They locked up the doors. Jesus walked in and he said, look at my hands. Okay, take it from a simpler translation. Luke 24, 39. Maybe a simpler translation can help us. Anyone you want. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And our King James said, they have no flesh and bones. Go back to King James. King James will tell you this. Luke 24, 39. Behold my hands and my feet, but it is myself. Handle me and see, for spirits have no flesh and bones as you see me have. 
not flesh and blood, but flesh and bones. Now, this is a glorified body. Because remember, on the cross he said, into the hand I commend my spirit. You remember that? Praise the Lord. Look at verse 46, Luke 23. Luke 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hand I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Into the hand I commend what? My spirit. Not my body, not my soul. Hallelujah. Come on, are you there with me? Praise God. So there's a point. It means he received another body from the grave. So let's look at the next body that he has now, which is the body of flesh and bones. Romans 1, 3. Take it from the message translation. Romans 1, 3, and 4. Let's look at verse 3, the book of Romans. Concerning, no, I said take it from message translation. I like it that way. Hallelujah. On God's son, he descended from David's roots, him in history. Amen? Go down. His unique identity as son of God was shown by the spirit when Jesus was raised from the dead, setting him up as the Messiah, our master. Okay, go to King James now. Let me show you that. What I find at verse 3, the message translation was very important. talks about history. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Verse 4. And declared, that's what I want you to see, to be what? The son of God with power according to the spirit of God, of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So when he said, God, into the hand I commend my spirit, God received the spirit and infused that spirit with another body. So when he came out of the grave, it was another body entirely. And that is why I discovered that Mary could not recognize him. Mary, when Mary saw him, Mary thought he was a gardener. And he said, if you know where they have laid him, just let me have him. Because Jesus was like, what are you looking for? He was looking at Jesus. And he said, if you know where they have laid him. One of the gardeners means one of those walking in the cemetery, taking care of the place, cleaning up the place, and all of those things. You understand that? If you know where they have laid him, please, just let me see. Among these tombs here, whatever, let me know where he's laid. And Jesus said, Mary. Ah, and she said, Rabboni, master. So how did Mary get to know Jesus? Not because of the physical structure. The one he knew before had changed into another one. But he could recognize him through the voice. So you know God through the voice that I keep on saying. You don't know God through miracles? No. How did Mary get to know God? Through the voice. So John 10, it will tell you, my sheep hear my voice. They know me. And I know them. And the voice of strangers, they will not follow. How did Adam and Eve got to know that God was in the garden? They heard the voice of God in the cool of the evening. Are you following me? Mary had always been with Jesus. But when he rose from the grave, Mary could not recognize him. 
the body I'm talking about is the body that you cannot recognize, but I can say I can recognize you, and you can talk with him. Hallelujah. It is by the voice that you get to know. Hallelujah. So Jesus could only be identified by what? By the voice. Praise God. So, it's important to, for us to understand that the true son of God was different from the historical Jesus that walked on the shores of Galilee for three and a half years. Amen. That man that lived for 33 and a half years was what we call the historical Jesus. But when he talk about being the son of God, is the one that rose from the grave with a glorified body. So, how are the dead raised? So that's a foolish question. Because the dead are raised with another body. Because not what you plant that you finally harvest. It's a different thing entirely. So you know what? If you drop the flesh today, God is giving you another body. And it's a body of glory. It's a body that can interface between the natural and the spiritual. It's a body that can walk into the spirit and come out of the spirit. Hallelujah. It's a body that can minister in heaven and minister on the earth at the same time. It's a body that has no limitation. No boundaries can stop these bodies that I'm talking about. Why is this so? Because understand the first thing when the Bible says, Into the hand I'll commend my spirit. Why is this so? Psalm 90 verse number 1. Psalm 90 verse number 1. If you want to go to heaven, then you must first get to God. Amen. Praise God. Lord, that has been our dwelling place in all generations. You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Who? God. So now, Jesus dropped the flesh and what's the next thing? He is going back to where he has always been. John 17, look at verse 8 and look at verse 13. Right up there. John 17, verse 8, verse 17. For I have given unto, unto them the words which thou givest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee. Praise God. And they have believed that thou didst send me. Now what I want you to know there is I came out of thee. And Psalm 90, verse 1 said, you have already been what? Our dwelling place. So we came out of him. And we can only go back to him. Hallelujah. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, John 17, 13. And he says, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. What I want you to see there is the A part. And now I come unto who? Unto thee. So, when the man drops the flesh, the spirit goes back to God who gave it. And Jesus said into the hand, I command what? My spirit. And when that happens, the next thing is God gives you another body. He molds you up again, gives you another shape, and then sends you back into the world, if you will, at the appointed time to do whatever thing you need to do. So it is from the dimension that Moses came out, from the dimension that Elijah came out. The Bible said they were witnessing, witnessing unto Jesus. You understand that? Matthew 17. 
So friend, this is a simple thing that God is really saying. What am I saying? Remember where you're coming from? What is my mindful of him? God intended to do something with man. It's intended to reshape man again and get man back again to himself. Amen? Praise the living God. So, you're not ending the way it is now. Life is not about you live and you die and it is finished. No. That is not what God's intention is for mankind. God is redeeming man. Your physical body shall be redeemed. You may probably not pass through the grave to get back into that body. Get the point right. Now, that's exactly what Paul was talking about in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You understand that? His desire was to enter into this realm of glory without going through the grave. We are not saying everybody have got good. No, 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 no. It's, 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 I mean, some people can be opportune. Some people can be privileged to enter into this realm without going through the grave. You got to understand that. Praise the living God. When that can happen, I don't know. But don't forget this. In every generation, God will not live himself without what? A witness. So there can be a witness of the things to come. It could be you entering into glory before other people. Amen? And then you can become a living witness. Now think about it this way. If somebody comes into glory, exactly where the Jesus was and living among you, I tell you the truth. Everybody will want to go and see that individual and tell them, how did you make it? And that's going to be the greatest witness on the face of the earth. Hallelujah. Do you understand what I mean? It's going to be the greatest witness on the face of the earth. Remember in those days when uh, in the village, if a white man comes to a community, what happens? Everybody wants to come from the community to look at a white man in town. You understand what I mean? Hey, maybe you didn't witness that. Or you man in town. Everybody wants to go on. You understand? Solomon is laughing now. Uh, you know, that's what happens. One man with a different color skin. We're inviting people to come witness, to come look at that individual. That's what I'm saying. What about if God raises a son today? Man, we are not talking about eating. No, no, no. We are not talking about moving, we're playing, or vehicle, whatever the case may be. No. You just move when you want to move. You go to wherever you need to go to. And I tell you, if you did do a miracle at that time, that individual you do the miracle for is permanent because you are ministering out of what you have. It's a new dimension of life. Praise the living God. So God is bringing us a greater level of glory. We are not finishing. We are not ending the way it is. Man is not an experimental pig. No. We are human beings made in the likeness and the image of God. It's bringing us to the place of fullness of glory. Again, I repeat, your spirit is sealed unto the day of redemption. What redemption? The redemption of your bodies. Praise God. I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org. God bless you.